It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. Welcome to this episode of Money for Lunch. I am jazzed that you're here. It's going to be good. All right, what are we talking about today? I don't know. But for sure, we have the quote of the day. The quote of the day was sent in by Kathleen A. Kathleen A., thank you so much for listening. Thank you for sending in your quote of the day. Innovation is the specific, let me try that again. Innovation is the specific instrument of entrepreneurship. The act that endows resources with a new capacity to create wealth. And that is by Peter Drucker. Innovation is the specific instrument of entrepreneurship. The act that endows resources with a new capacity to create wealth. You have a quote? You want me to read it on the air? Hit me up on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. Yeah, those are the main ones. Uh, Instagram, yep, or reach out to me, Bert at BertMartinez.com, and put quote of the day in the subject line. And uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, to getting your quote, sharing it on the air, inspiring other people, and essentially making life better for everyone. All right, today on the show we have Michael Goldsby. Michael Goldsby is the Chief Entrepreneurship Officer and Stoops Distinguished Professor of Entrepreneurship at Ball State University, USA. Uh, his writing partner, Rob Matthews, is the Director of the Institute, of, Institute for Entrepreneurship and Free Enterprise at Ball State University, USA. Their new book is The Entrepreneurship the Disney way. Michael Goldsby, welcome to Money for Lunch. Thanks. Good to be on it, Bert. Hey, so uh, uh, let's talk about the title of the book. Uh, again, the book is called Entrepreneurship, the Disney way. Did you do a lot of research? I mean, you obviously are a big fan of the Disney way. Talk about this. Sure, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm a entrepreneurship scholar and teacher, and I've been in the field for 20 years. And I really believe that uh, the story of Walt Disney and the Walt Disney Company is the best combination of creativity and uh, business that, that I've seen. And the more uh, we dug into the history of the company and the more we dug into the current practices, the more uh, those ideas were confirmed. Yeah. Well, you know what, and, and I think that Disney is a great example. I think that there's uh, one of my favorite stories, and I don't know if you came across a story in the book. I don't know if it's if, if it's an urban legend, but uh, Disney had lost numerous times. I believe he filed bankruptcy numerous times, and when he was buying the land, which is now – Disney Anaheim, his best friend or one of his best friends at the time, Art Linkletter, 
uh, would not lend him the money to buy the land. I think he needed like a thousand dollars and he just did not believe in his friend enough to lend him the thousand bucks, but he succeeded anyway. That's right. Yeah. Walt, uh, he truly is one of those rare iconic entrepreneurs uh, who was always risking the business entirely on the next big venture. But when I've talked to people in the company, they said that they still abide by his philosophy when they take big risks. And that means that when he took those big risks, he always backed it up with quality. So, uh, you know, he, he always said that the pictures he had in his head, he had to do his best to try to put them in three-dimensional form and, and in pictures so that the money people could get their heads around it because he, he was seeing things so far ahead that uh, even his best friends uh, and his family members and his wife uh, didn't were not uh, feeling secure with his ideas because each one was just a risk the company move and it was it was going into new new territory that no one had ever done before. I mean, truly an amazing story. There's so many times where if one of those ventures had failed, the, the company would have failed. We would not have the Walt Disney Company today if any of those had failed uh, at the scope of some of those big projects. Yeah, that that is amazing. And it goes to show you that a lot of things in business is about the courage of your convictions, right? Uh, listening to you reminded me of, of Elon Musk, who has risked it all over and over again and is currently risking it all with Tesla. But, uh, you know, his his space company, his rocket company, whatever it's called, uh, SpaceX, I think, was yep. on the verge of bankruptcy. He had just enough money to do three tests. All three of them failed. And he scrounged and got enough money to do a fourth test. Everything hinges on this. His friends, his family are telling him not to do it. He's going to lose everything, blah, blah, blah. He does it. It, it, it works out perfectly. He wins this multi-billion dollar contract from NASA. But yeah, sometimes it takes courage to make money. It definitely takes courage. And, you know, the one thing, I think the uh, common thing that, that Elon Musk and Walt Disney have is that they both speak an aspirational language. They both talk about the future. Walt was a futurist. Mm. Elon Musk is a futurist. And I think when you paint a picture of where you're taking people, you know, that leadership of where I want to take you to this place, and you paint it in a way that it gets people excited and optimistic and hopeful, you get a lot of people on board. And then that, that combination of those people around that vision of the entrepreneur and the fact that the entrepreneur is willing to risk it all, just like Musk and Disney, uh, it shows commitment. Uh, people give trust to that person to go, okay, well, if they're willing to bet it all, I can at least get my time and my, my brains to help this out, maybe some of my money, and people come along for that ride. And so, you know, at the, the end of all this, it's really it's so much of a human enterprise as much as it is technical and, and financial. Sure, absolutely. I mean, humans are either going to make or break your company. You can have great technology but you still need that human capital to bring it all together, to be able to promote it out in the marketplace, to be able to explain it. There's a lot of great companies out there. Or let me rephrase it. There's a lot of great products out there, a lot of great inventions, but unfortunately the human or humans behind it 
can't make it work. They can't explain it. They can't get uh, funding for it. They, they can't bring it to fruition because of who's involved. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You know, you think about Musk and Disney as well. Uh, the way they're able to move between the technical people and the business people, the technical mm. people and the and the and the marketers, uh, the the press, you know, they're and and a lot of that is because they did their homework, right? They were very involved in uh, all the research, and they were right in the midst of it. Uh, it you know, one of my is, is Steve Jobs and and Jonathan Ive working in that design lab day in day out on the next big products, same type of thing. And then, and then that person can go out there and talk to all those different stakeholders with credibility and, and, and knowledge. And so the other thing about this is as well is I'm really happy you mentioned this human capital side is that when you look at economics from an economic standpoint, the differentiator in so many situations is human capital. You know, it's knowledge, human ingenuity. There's a spillover effect that people feed off of each other. Uh, interesting, smart, driven people like to work with other interesting, smart people. And when you have an entrepreneur who gets that and, and sets that example for all of them and, and gets them on interesting projects, you've got engagement. And once you've got employee engagement, uh, the sky's the limit. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I like that. Once you have engagement, sky's the limit. All right, so let's talk about this. In your research, what are some of the most impactful advances in, let's say, innovation research or education and, and practice. Talk about some of these findings. Do you mean in, in general or regarding, regarding Disney? Regarding, yeah, entrepreneur, either in general or what you found with, uh, with the book, the, uh, Entrepreneurship, the Disney Way. Uh, sure. Yeah, what did you, yeah, could talk about that. Yeah, actually, I did a study recently that came out, and it got, it got some good media press on it because it was, it was an interesting finding. And what, what I did in the study with uh, some other scholars from across the country is we looked at 500 entrepreneurs, and we were curious about innovation, but also the sources of innovation. And we thought, you know, one source of innovation could be problems, right? It's often we talk about problems being a source of innovation. But in this situation, more specifically, uh, social issues for social responsibility. If, if there are issues in that, could that be a source of innovation? So we looked at internal issues of social responsibility and external issues of social responsibility. And on the internal, uh, we were looking at, say, human resource practices. Are, are you treating your employees well? And on the other, we were looking at the external, things like the environment and issues of community. And we're not saying those things aren't important, but what we found was when a company put their attention on the employee issues, on treating their employees well, here it got very interesting. The innovation uh, took off. So there was a real strong correlation between focusing on the employees and getting that engagement, and then we saw both internal and external innovation, meaning that we externally came out with new products and services, but also by putting out those new products and services, we got better at our own internal processes of how to use technology, how to work together, uh, new new processes. And so, like, I'm back to, doesn't mean the external issues aren't important, but what it does mean is that you really got to pay attention to your employees. And when you get that, you get a committed workforce. We actually found this one, we did one study years ago 
that was heavily cited, that we found that the more support the employees will company, the more commitment they have back. So it, it, that's some really interesting findings, I think, with the role that employees, leadership, and innovation all play together. Listening to you reminded me of Google's policy that their employees can spend 20% of their time on new stuff, right? Call it innovation, call it an idea, whatever, whatever it is. They are supported in this environment to go and play and experiment and try new things. 20% of their time can be allocated for this next thing that somebody's dreaming up of. And that's why Google is constantly coming up with a new idea. And again, Google is not afraid to experiment. I mean, they're, I think yesterday they closed Google Plus down, right? So they came out with Google Plus. They played around with it for, I don't know, five, six years. And they decided, eh, it's not doing anything. Let's just shut it down, right? So yeah. uh, we've seen them do that with other products as well. So I think this idea of supporting your employees back to what you and I were talking about earlier is so important that human capital, that, that it was really what fuels everything. It is. And the, and the more you trust you put in that, the, the more you develop that. So one thing that I, I was talking to one of my friends at, at Disney, an executive, and he was talking about the, the huge projects they work on. I mean, these immense parks and ships and, Big projects, and he and he said these big innovation projects are interesting because they're comprised of a lot of little innovations inside the company. So you've got all these people coming up with all these ideas inside the company, and he said those people learning how to be innovative on a smaller scale that leads to bigger outcomes. He said what you're really doing is you're also developing the future leaders in that company, the future people who are innovation minded who can then lead others on their ideas in the next generation. And I think that's one of the reasons when you look at the success of Disney over, over the decades, over generations, it's been one generation coaching and helping the next generation. Uh, you know, it's interesting. You've got people that uh, Eisner hired who are now coaching and mentoring uh, Iger's people. And mm-hmm. you still got people that were connected to Walt who, who still serve as advisors in the, Mentors to everyone. It's it's a really amazing uh, thing that they have going on there. Well, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because I think that we need to move away from this idea of, quote, managers and change their title to mentors or coaches because that's what a good manager does, right? That's right. It's you know, again, filling out spreadsheets and collecting data, yeah, that's important. But more important is getting this this human side to work and, and you know, as you mentioned, feel supported and, and all this other stuff because, as we've already said, it, it really makes or breaks the company. It does. And, you know, it's kind of interesting that at the Walt Disney Company, at the parks and resorts, they call the place where the people apply for jobs casting. 
You know, you, you don't you don't go and right. step into the human resources department. You step into casting because you're going to be a part of that show, and they want to make sure they get the right people, the right the right actors per se in that show. And you know, I was I was talking to a friend of mine uh, recently who's an, who's a human resources expert, and I said, you know, why do we use the term human resource management? I mean, that to me, uh, managing the resources it sends a message to me that shouldn't we be focusing on say human capital departments or talent and development apartments or coaching and mentoring departments. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's so much more than just moving paperwork, as you mentioned, and it's, it's takes a lot of time to coach people. It's easier to get people the answers, right? Get the experience. It's easier to give them the right. answers that, you know, the time to coach people and help them learn from mistakes and help them learn how to take risk and, and do those value added activities that take the company to the next level. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. All right. The book is called Entrepreneurship, The Disney Way. I am uh, being joined today by Michael Goldsby, uh, who is the chief entrepreneurship officer at, uh, and, and, uh, was it, and Stoops Distinguished Professor of Entrepreneurship at Ball State University. Uh, so uh, let me ask you this. In the book or in the research for the book, is there a a tip, a number one tip or idea for entrepreneurs, uh, project team members, and corporate innovators to help them drive results? So you have like a like a tip or two regarding entrepreneurs, project teams. Sure. Yeah, I, I think one is uh, focus on the long game and not the short game. I, I think mm. uh, so many people are. You know, we follow social media. We see people making it big. We we watch the news. We we want to be successful, but the real story behind these people is that it's it's oftentimes a long journey. There's moments of of in Walt's case, there were moments where people betrayed him. There were moments, as you said earlier, when he was younger, where he failed. And yet, think about it: if Walt Disney doesn't get on a train in uh, 1923 and go out to California with 40 bucks in his pocket, uh you know, we don't have the modern Walt Disney Company. And, you know, it's it's just such a – his story, when he finally – I think finally felt like he had reached uh, true success, where he felt comfortable that he had truly made it, was pretty much up till the end of his death when or in, end of his life when he was uh, getting ready to work on Walt Disney World. I think at that point he felt like he had finally made it. But it was it was really a lifetime, a long play of – bringing these people together and, and working on ideas and, and learning. So that's my one tip is the long game. The second tip is uh, be a voracious learner, be curious, and uh, learn how to go out there. And part of the long game is it may take a long time to build up your network. It may take a long time to build up that knowledge. But know that everyone you come into contact with who has a chance to learn something from that might be able to help you get to, to another person that will have that one piece of information or that one contact that will pay off for you. And you, you can't plan this stuff out exactly, but these are practices that when done regularly, uh, interesting, unexpected outcomes can happen. And sometimes it's that, it's that one meeting at the right time, at the right place, the right person, that all that hard work and that long game comes together. Yeah, I, I think... 
that idea of the long game is, again, you know, you look at somebody like an Elon Musk or Steve Jobs, I think they perfected that kind of thinking, that kind of patience. And I think that certainly is lacking for a lot of people, right? You have to have this vision and sometimes depending on the size of that vision, it's going to take a while. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is when you look at a Walt Disney and an Elon Musk, their personalities are different, but I think, I think when you look at these iconic, very driven, successful entrepreneurs, they're, they're kind of wired a little bit differently too. There was a, there was a psychological study done by, uh, I think his name was John Gardner, and I mentioned him in the book, that a lot of these people may even exhibit traits of what's called hypomania. You know, they're just, they've got a lot of energy, they're driven, uh, they get done with one thing, it's what's next, their minds are always going. And you get people like that, and, and a lot of people like that don't have that patience. You know, they, they're, not, they're not willing to, they want the results now. But if right. you take that drive and you take that vision and you take that commitment and you couple it with patience and learning. And, you know, the thing about Steve Jobs, I remember him always saying that uh, it wasn't always what he said yes to. It's what he said no to as well, right? Every day mm. he said no to things, that focus. Uh, and focus is part of that long game, right? Didn't mean that the, yep. the idea he had wasn't going to change, but he was he was knowing what he wanted to put his time and energy on. And ultimately, isn't that your main resource, your time, your energy, your attention, especially these days? So the patience to play out the long game with that focus. And, and you know, if you're blessed with a with a, a motor that runs like Disney and and uh, Musk, uh, you, you can be very, very successful. But that doesn't mean you have to have that engine. You can still be quite successful. But I think those people, I think they, they live their lives uh, – where work and play and everything all all falls together for them. It's a it's a it's a labor of love, I believe. Sure, sure. Let me ask you this: with your background, you could have written about anyone or any company. Why entrepreneurship the Disney way? What what attracted you to the, um, I guess, Disney way? Uh, did you have a connection to the company? Did you, you know, do you, I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out what, what was the catalyst for you that said, hey, I have to write about Disney. You know, it's, I guess it's sort of very reminiscent of, of the stories I told you about the people we just talked about. I uh, I was an entrepreneurship professor and, uh, and I was also a, a creativity and design expert. And and it was just serendipitous. I, you know, I was a uh, child of the 70s, and that was the kind of that era after Walt where Walt Disney Company wasn't putting out very many successful films at that time. You know, the the classics weren't being made during the 70s. Kid of Star Wars. You know, I was a kid of science fiction, and I wasn't really a Disney fan growing up. I knew I knew the show on Sundays, and I thought it was nice. But I wasn't a huge Disney fan, and so – I was at a conference in Anaheim in 2008, and I had a little bit of extra time, and I thought, I'll just go down to Disneyland. I haven't been there since 1976 when I was a little kid. I'll just take a look at it. And with my eyes and and my my perspective of of an entrepreneurship scholar and a creativity expert, 
I looked at this place and I thought, wow, this is really interesting. I watched the people and I saw how excited the people were. And I was taking a break that day and I was sitting on the Circle Hub and I looked at the statue of Walt Disney in front of the Sleeping Beauty Castle. And I and I just thought, you know, I think I want to know more about who this person was. And so I started I started reading up on him, and the more I read, the more amazed I was. And I thought, you know, if you really understand what makes made Walt Disney a successful entrepreneur, and if you understand what makes the modern company successful, you've pretty much got a blueprint for success in just about anything. And I always like to use Walt Disney World as an example. You've got a 42-square-mile piece of land with 100,000 employees working there, and people come back over and over again. And I think if they can make that big operation run that well, then any of us should be able to run our operations at a much smaller scale and, st- and get that customer satisfaction. So I wanted, to, I wanted to know what were those practices. And so over time, much the same way, I, I did not know anybody at the company, but I, I got to know people at the company. I got to become friends and with the executives and with people throughout the company because I think they could see that I was, I was wanting to tell that authentic story, and I was interested in what they were doing. And we just – we just hit it off. A lot of these people now are friends, uh, and um, they're friends first, and uh, they're just really good people. And that's the thing I discovered. Uh, the people inside the company are just fantastic people who have really coached me along in my own career outside of Disney. Yeah. No, it, it is extraordinary when you think of, as you said, you have this 40-mile, 40 42-mile park, 100,000 people. It runs very smoothly. And what amazes me, Michael, is I know several adult couples that go to Disney three and four times a year without their children. Mm -hmm. Sure. I mean, it's just hysterical. And 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 I have to tell you, when, when they first came out with the cruise ships, I rolled my eyes. I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be interesting. You know, what is Disney doing uh, in the cruise industry? It's so competitive. It's so capital intensive. It's, you know, uh, but I have to tell you, in true Disney fashion, uh, I have my wife and I have five kids. So when we do a family vacation, usually it's pretty exhausting for mom and dad. And that's, and it's probably that way for most parents, right? It's, right. you know, it's, it's family vacations tend to be more like kids vacations with the parents kind of chaperoning and paying for everything. And so I was not looking forward to getting on this boat and we got there and then they start explaining to you, okay, this area over here is for teenagers only, no parents allowed. This area over here is uh, for parents, no kids allowed. This area over here is for family. Uh, then they have an area for toddlers, and you know, I guess I forgot what age group it was at that time. We have a we have a set of twin girls, and and so we dropped off our twin girls at their whatever age group they were at that time. And they handed us a pager and they said, you guys go have fun. We'll take care of your kids. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, then dinner time, we go to get our kids and they're like, no, we don't want to leave. 
Uh, and and yeah. of course they'll they'll feed them right you know they'll feed them there and stuff like that. And it was the best vacation, the best family vacation I've ever had. I was well rested. There was something uh-huh. for the kids to do. They were all supervised. Uh, you felt good about mm-hmm. you know the treatment. And since then, of course, other cruise lines, cruise liners have taken notice and they're started doing cruises the Disney way <laughs> because it works. Right. It's a great model. And, and so, um, so, so let me ask you this. Okay. Again, the book is called entrepreneurship, the Disney way does, um, I don't know. Let me rephrase it like this. Cause we've been talking about innovation a little bit here and there, but, what is the most important thing to consider when trying to increase innovation in an organization? Well, that's a great question. I, I think first thing is it, it has to come from the top and uh, from the leadership. You you have to show that you're willing to support that. Uh, you're willing to let people, as you said about Google, you know, give people time to work on things. Uh, let people work on ideas, you know, resources. A lot of companies have almost like uh, almost like uh, let their employees come up with their own business plans for ideas and see if they can get funding. Uh, let people work cross-disciplinary inside the company. Let them work out even with people outside the company if it will help them uh, generate ideas. So I think it has to come from leadership, and it has to, it has to come from actually uh, making the decision to let people try some of these things. Uh, and that that's the first place. I mean, if if, if you don't have a a very enlightened leader on innovation, uh, it's going to be you're going to have a lot of uh, of uh, order takers inside that company, and it and it doesn't necessarily mean that that you you might be okay at what you do, but you're likely not going to come up that next thing. And the one thing Disney always talks about, they still talk about this, is the idea of corporate entrepreneurship, because they, they believe they have to remain relevant and innovative to still be where they're at in the marketplace. They never stop on that. They're they're always being uh, looking to the next projects. If, if you just look at the parks alone, the immensity of the capital investments that they've made in in the parks all around the world is unbelievable. I mean, just just phenomenal uh, era right now we're seeing, and, so, and a lot of that's going to open up this summer. If you're if you're a Disney fan, it's going to be an exciting time. Well, absolutely. I mean, first of all, we have Star Wars Park, for lack of better terms, Star Wars. Uh, Adventure Park opening up May 21st. I've yeah. already told I already told everybody I'm gonna you know I'm gonna nerd out. I, I plan to be <laughs> there the entire week and just play on that Millennium Falcon the entire time. Yeah. They built an entire Millennium Falcon full scale and and I'm looking forward to that. Or at least from the sketches and drawings that I've seen, it appears to be full scale. So who knows what that really looks like? But yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And one of the things that you have to respect Disney for is they understand content, content repurposing, content marketing better than anybody. And that is what I think set them apart for all those many years. Uh, you know, they, they, they capture you as a child and you become a lifelong consumer of their content forever. Because, you know, they'll, they'll, 
what they like to say is that they're in the story business. And everything right. at Disney starts with a story. Everything starts with a story. And, you know, I, I, I wrote a column recently. It hasn't been published yet. But uh, I made the point that it's interesting that, that Disney uh, bought the broadcasting rights to the Ultimate Fighting Championship, UFC. And it, it I did like not know that. Yeah, right? yeah. So UFC <laughs> is now on, on ESPN. Yeah, it's it's, it's uh, Disney Broadcasting uh, of, of UFC. And yet, you know, actually, I, I like UFC. I watch UFC. And if you watch UFC, they've got a lot of stories going on. They've got this, uh, you know, where you start to know these fighters as individuals. They have all this drama between the fights. They build up. And I thought, you know, it's a whole different market, but it's a very similar approach because it's about building up the drama and the stories. And so at Disney, uh, just about, well, everything, everything is driven by a story. It's a good story. They've got the platforms and, and the uh, vehicles to get them out there. And what's so cool about that is then, then within that story, they're very disciplined about making sure there's an integrity within that story. The details, and it's extremely detailed, right? But the details have to line up with what that story is what the theme is behind it. It, it. And then we as customers, as guests, not know exactly why it's working, but it just feels right. And uh, that's the that's the attention to detail uh, that I think everyone could learn from, that attention to de- detail to a, to a consistent theme, a consistent design, a consistent story. Wow, when you can pull that together, that, that can set you apart in any in industry. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. All right, so final question for you. What makes someone a good leader? What's your opinion on this? I think someone that makes somebody a good leader is they they have to be a uh, – they, they need to be the best person they can be. Uh, and there's many, many elements of that that take place. And I think one of those is just steady – calm leadership. So I'm a huge, huge, huge believer in becoming an expert in personal productivity, you know, the Stephen Covey type of thing or the uh, David Allen getting things done. You have your own life under control and you're focusing your energy on things that you can actually influence. You're going to be able to put more of your attention on coaching your employees. You're going to set that role model. So I think the first place it starts is with yourself. You know, you try to do things with the right character uh, run your ship uh, under control. Uh, you know, have have get the priorities done that need to get done. Have that focus. Have that discipline, and people will start to see those results. They'll be a part of those results, and over time, they'll start to role model. You're role modeling that for them, and then they'll role model it for the next people that come in. It's a way of a way of being, and it's it's kind of hard to uh, really measure. Uh, but but I think what you, what you can see is that if you look at the classic writings of Peter Drucker, you look at these writings like Stephen Covey, they they still hold up today. Jim Collins, all these seminal business people, they hold up because it really gets down to running your own daily activity uh, with the most integrity and and structure and discipline that you can, and then those results will inspire others to try to do the same. Yeah, I think I think uh, that's a great definition. I think uh yeah, when I think of a good leader, 
I, I always think of somebody who is, uh, you know, uh, one of the characteristics that you mentioned is somebody who overall is, it has a pretty calming effect, can also, in, can also inspire people, people, you know, somebody who's transparent, uh, you know, he, he tries or she tries to be the best they can, but they're not afraid to, to share when they, you know, when they're being human, right? When they've had a bad day or when, you know, things didn't go according to plan or things like that. So, uh, yeah, exactly. great definition. Yeah. So real yeah. quick, I want to, I want to sure. plug, cause we're running out of time. I want to plug the book one more time, Entrepreneurship, the Disney way available at Amazon or wherever you're, you like to buy your favorite books. I'm going to put a link here in the show notes. So if you want to get the book you can click right there, uh, the author is Michael Goldsby, and again, entrepreneurship the Disney way. Michael, I want to say thank you so much for shopping by and sharing today. Thanks, Bert. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for having me on the show today. You bet. Good stuff there from Michael Goldsby. The book, The Entrepreneurship, Entrepreneurship the Disney Way. I've enjoyed sharing my time today with Michael. It's been a blast. Uh, a lot of great takeaways about innovation, about the importance of human capital. Um, it's just been, uh, we call it a great conversation. Do me a favor, please, as always, my friends. First of all, thank you for supporting the show. And second of all, please, please share this episode with everyone you know. Let's help as many people as we can think about entre um, entrepreneurship the Disney way maybe up-leveling their innovation, up-leveling their storytelling, up-leveling their game. And last but not least, remember, you were created to succeed. Tune in Monday through Friday here on Money for Lunch. And check out our website at moneyforlunch.com.